Okay. Well, you can go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to the book of Acts. Acts chapter number one is where we're going to begin at today. And while you're finding your place, I'll go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, we'll get into our study. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. We thank you for the day that you've given us and for the opportunity we have to be here. Lord, we thank you for those who are gathered. Lord, and we just pray, ask you that you would uh, meet with us today. I pray that you would guide and direct me as I teach, Lord, and be with each person here that they would uh, be encouraged, that they would grow in their, their walk with you, Lord. And I just pray that you would uh, minister to hearts today as you see fit. Lord, I pray that you be with those who are still on their way out today. Lord, just keep them safe as they travel in. And Lord, just be at their time in our fellowship together. Lord, we do pray, thank you, Lord, for uh, being with Jacques over the weekend and for the good news that he's uh, going to be going home. And we just uh, thank you for that. If you just help him in his recovery, and Lord, just pray that you'd uh, give him a, a speedy recovery, Lord. And Lord, we just uh, thank you so much for all that you do for us. Do help and guide us, Lord. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start a new study today. And uh, we have, for the past several weeks, been in a study on... Uh, spiritual health and growth, and we've been looking at uh, different things that we need in our lives, different ingredients to put us in a an environment where we can grow spiritually, where we can be healthy in our spiritual walk. And so we've looked at that over the past several weeks and uh, saw that if we uh, plant ourselves in the right soil and uh, surround ourselves with the right influences and things, it's going to produce growth in our lives. And if we neglect things such as uh, the Word of God and prayer and our relationship with God, there's no way for us to grow. If we start allowing uh, ungodliness and uh, sinful influences and things into our lives, it's going to stunt and hinder our growth. And so for us as Christians, we all want to grow in our walk with God. We want to see Him increasing in our lives. We want to uh, overcome some of the sins that beset us. We want to see ourselves becoming more like Christ and shaped in His image and things. And so we've seen ways to do that. And this week we're going to begin this series in uh, the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, what we're going to see is the early church. We're going to see that from its beginnings up through it uh, growing and transforming and changing. And uh, I think this kind of is a, a good leap maybe from our previous study, from what we were looking at. We're going to see examples of growth, uh, both in the church and in believers. And I believe that's a, a good place for us to land here. And so since this is a new study, since we're just beginning this, uh, I want to start out today by looking a little bit at its context, uh, what was going on at this time, because the book of Acts is used sometimes to, um, to support some heresy, some ungodly teachings and things like that, because of the nature of the book. As we're studying through the Bible, it's important for us to pay attention to context. It's important for us to know uh, why a book was written, who it was written to, what was going on at that time, what its purpose was. And whenever we see that, we can better know how to apply it to our lives. And uh, that's one of the things that I want to get into today is seeing the context of this book. Uh, it was written by the apostle, or not by the apostle, by, by uh, Luke, the beloved physician. He was a companion of the apostle Paul, and he was also the writer of the the Gospel of Luke that has his name at the uh, the top of it. And we're going to see that this goes along with it. This is like part two. We've all uh, watched movies where there was a sequel, right? Where there's a part one and a part two. And so the book of Luke was the first part. The book of Acts is the second part of it. 
It was written to a man by the name of Theophilus. The name means lover of God. In Luke, he is uh, he's referred to as most excellent Theophilus. So with that, we gather that more than likely he would have been uh, someone of prominence or position. He may have been a Gentile leader. He may have been a uh, even a, a Roman uh, leader of some sort. And Luke is writing to this man to tell him about Jesus. Uh, this man has some questions, I'm assuming. I don't know if he's a believer yet or if Luke is trying to witness to him and trying to get him to be a believer. I'm not sure on that. But what we do find here is that Luke is laying out a history of what has happened with Jesus, uh, his disciples, and what has happened with the church as it exploded out of Jerusalem and started going across all of the region, and churches were popping up everywhere. There's congregations coming up everywhere. And so Luke is writing this and telling uh, this man, Theophilus, how the, this man, this Jewish teacher, this rabbi, had started something that had became basically a worldwide phenomenon. Uh, for the Gentiles, they would be wondering, what does this Jewish carpenter, what does this Jewish rabbi, this teacher, what does he have to do with us? Because every country, every civilization, everything, would have their own religions, they'd have their own gods, their own things. And so for the Gentiles, one of their questions would be, where did this guy come from? What is he about? What's going on here? What makes him special? Why should we listen to him? And so these guys would have had so many questions about what was going on here. And Luke is explaining to him that this Jesus isn't just some Jewish carpenter, that he isn't just some rabbi come out of Jerusalem, that he isn't just a uh, regional irregularity here. He's not just some uh, personal God to the Jews but instead that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that came to bring salvation to the entire world. And so this is a documentary, if you want, uh, if, if you put it that way, documentary, I guess, if you want to put it that way, of the birth and the growth of the church in the first century. And as we go through this, we're going to see that even though it's often called the Acts of the Apostles, if you have that written in your Bible, you have a uh, maybe a, an introduction there that says Acts of the Apostles, right? I think a more appropriate title would be Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles or Acts of Christ through His Apostles. Because we're going to find as we study through this that it's not the Apostles that's doing the work. It's not that they had any great means to them because we often look at them as the heroes of the faith, as the almost super Christians, if you will, but that's not what we actually find as we look at their ministries, because we find that really they were vessels that God used. And where that's important to us today is that we are still vessels that God can use. If we have this idea that Christianity is about super Christians that just have extraordinary abilities and that certain people are gifted and certain people are not, and we've got to rely on these Peters and these Pauls and these different ones to be doing the work, then we're going to count ourselves out. But whenever we realize that the church has always been God working through his people, God working through even often unworthy vessels, weak and struggling people and all these things, and God doing stuff in spite of his people, right? A lot of times it's that we get in the way of God. 
And so we're going to see that through the Acts of the Apostles here as we look at this. And Luke is going to lay out a great history for us, showing this period in time where it goes from Jesus and his group of followers, from him being the teacher and them being the students, to them being the teachers and leading many students to him. And so with that, we find that Acts is a transitional book. Okay, Acts is a transitional book. And so that's something that we need to know about the, the context of this, that there is a lot of changes that are going on. That's what, mean, what transition means, right? There's a lot of changes that are happening throughout the book of Acts. We're finding that at the end of the, the Gospels, that Jesus has had his group of disciples with him all along. He's been leading them basically by the hand, telling them where to go and sending them where he wants them. And they are, I guess if we wanted to describe it at the end of the New Testament, or not in the New Testament, at the end of the Gospels, the disciples are still pretty clueless, right? They're pretty weak. They don't know what's going on. Would it be fair to say they were clueless? That's right. And so with that, we find that Jesus dies. He's crucified. He has told them multiple times, I'm going to be betrayed at the hands of sinful men. And they were too, I don't want to say stupid. Too, they, were, they were ignorant in so many ways. They just, you know how a lot of times you only hear what you want to hear? They didn't want to hear that. At one point in time, whenever Jesus says this, Peter rebukes Jesus. Could you imagine having the gall to actually rebuke the Son of God? And that's when Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. That was stupid, wasn't it? And so anyway, we see that these guys, that Jesus dies, like he said he was going to, and they lose their minds. They say, we've invested so much time, so much energy in this, and it's all gone. And they're wringing their hands. They're trying to figure out what's going on. When Jesus resurrects from the dead and the angel appears to Peter and to John and says he's not here, he's risen like he told you he was going to, they still don't believe. Whenever Mary runs into Jesus in the garden and she goes and tells all of them, I have seen our Savior. I've met with Jesus. Oh, you're hallucinating. You don't know what you're talking about. You have the account of the two men on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus appears to them and says, what manner of conversation is this that you are walking together and that you're sad? And they said, are you a stranger in this land? Do you not know what's going on? The one that we thought was going to be the Messiah, he's dead. And so this is where we leave the, the Gospels. And even during this time, Jesus appears to them for 40 days. He's instructing them during this period. And still, even during this time, He's appeared to Peter multiple times. And Peter's still so discouraged, he says, I go fishing. I quit. I'm going to hang it up. I'm going to go back to my old life. I don't know how to do all this, all these changes, all this uncertainty. I don't know what to make of this stuff that Jesus is doing. But I know how to fish. I'll go back to fishing. Okay? Thomas, he hears the testimony of all the other disciples and says, we have met with Jesus. He appeared to us. We ate food with him. And Thomas says, I'm not going to believe unless I feel the nail prints in his hand and I thrust my hand into his side. Does that sound like spiritual giants? Mm -hmm. 
And so whenever I say that the book of Acts is a transitional book, and that it is a book about growth, we find that at the beginning of the book of Acts, this is who the disciples were. This is who the apostles, the ones who have written our New Testament, the ones who have uh, testified and told us about the things of God, the ones who have preserved Christianity, the ones that turned the world upside down with the gospel, was a mess at the beginning of the book of Acts. But throughout the book of Acts, we see a steady growth happening in Jesus' followers and in his church. And from the time that you have the beginning of the book of Acts to the time you have the end of it, it goes from a small group in an upper room to a vibrant and living relationship, a family, scattered all throughout Asia and Europe. That is a big transition. Another reason why I say that this is transitional is because things happen throughout the book of Acts that are not normative. They're not for our expectation for them to continue today. Because you find in Acts chapter 2, when we get there, the Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost, and they are speaking with tongues, and all these things are going on. Is that still for us today? Is that normal for us today? It was a sign for that time. It was a uh, for a specific place, for specific people. It's for the Jews, and God was doing something there. We're going to find later on that whenever Peter is with Cornelius, that the Spirit falls, and once again, they speak in tongues. But that is a sign for the Jews saying that the, the Lord has saved the Gentiles the same as he did the Jews, that he has given them the Spirit just the same as he did the Jews at the very beginning. There's a transformation. There is a transition that is going on throughout this book. So if we think that uh, we need to seek the Holy Spirit after salvation, we're needing a second blessing. If we are expecting for us to speak in tongues and all these different things today, because we see it happening in the book of Acts, we have misunderstood the context of this book. We've misunderstood the transition of what God was doing, of how he was bringing the church from being a Jewish group to being a worldwide and a more of a Gentile group, right? He is taking this from being a small movement within Judea and in Galilee to being something that's going out into all the world that cannot be contained. And we're seeing how God is using the power of his Holy Spirit and some of these very weak and sometimes unusual vessels to bring about this growth and this change and this purpose that he had for his creation. And so, as I said, it is transitional. It is uh, something that we're not going to be building great doctrines on a transitional book. Okay? Okay. And so whenever we're looking at this, we need to compare Scripture with Scripture and see what the teaching of the established church. I'm not meaning like in modern times, I'm talking about uh, the letters of Paul, the letters of Peter, the letters of James. What, what happened whenever the church had been brought into existence? Whenever it started its uh, maturity after, I hate to use this, this illustration, but I will, after it's going through puberty, Okay. After it's going through those awkward teenage years. Because that's kind of what we're seeing in the book of Acts, aren't we? We're seeing some growing pains. 
We're seeing them try some things that sometimes doesn't work. They're trying to get their, their grounding. They're trying to figure out how all of this works because all of it is so new to them. And so, as I said, there's a lot of change that is going on throughout the book of Acts. But God knows his creation, and he knows that we as human beings don't do change very well. Anyone like change? We don't like change. We're creatures of habit, aren't we? And God changed so much through the book of Acts, but he had to do it somewhat gradually. He couldn't just spring it on the disciples and say, okay, guys, this is what we're going to do now. And just lay it all out before him. Can you imagine what a, what a mess that would be? What a shock to the system it was. It was a big enough shock whenever Jesus had been telling them for years what was going to happen, and then it happened. Could they have ever foreseen in Acts chapter 1 what's going on in the world today? What the church has become, both good and bad? They couldn't have foreseen it. And I'm thankful that God doesn't tell us ahead of time what's going to happen. Because our systems couldn't handle it. If the Lord would have told me 10 years ago where I'd be at now, I probably wouldn't have made it here. I would have messed it up somewhere or I would have went nuts. Right? I would have been trying to make it happen. But Jesus gave them the information that they needed and just enough so that they would follow him. Because he told them at the very beginning, and this is a passage I absolutely love, but he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They had to learn to follow him and allow him to do the making. Allow him to do the work in them. And that's what we see going on in the book of Acts. Do they always get it right? No. And I'm grateful for that as well because I'm never going to always get it right. Sometimes I get lucky. Even a, you know, They say even a blind bird gets a worm once in a while. Right? And so with this, let's go ahead and jump into the book of Acts here. Anyone have anything to add into what we've talked about so far? Just this kind of a transitional period, this idea of the context behind the book of Acts. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and jump into chapter number one. And we'll read the first 14 verses. And it'll lay a foundation for the rest of our study. It says, The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the kingdom, or excuse me, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons, for excuse me, which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, 
As he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem, from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room, where abode both Peter and James and John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotus, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brother. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture, Luke is laying out ahead of time kind of an outline of what's going to go on. He starts at the beginning and he takes it all the way into the end in this passage that we've looked at. He gives the disciples a very broad view, a very broad idea of what to be expected. This is what Jesus is doing in this passage and that Luke is relaying one to Theophilus, okay? And so he told him here in verse number one, the former treatise, that's the book of Luke, I wrote to you to tell of all the things that Jesus began both to do and to teach, right? I went back and I told you the beginning of all things. But the part that stuck with me about this is that it was only the beginning. That what Jesus done in the book of Luke, what he did while he was on this earth, was just the start of something. He was just getting the ball rolling, if you will. He was just beginning something. And so he was... Uh, starting something that wasn't intended to just go throughout Jerusalem or Judea or just the local region, but he was beginning something that was intended to go worldwide. Okay, He wasn't just starting a religious movement. He wasn't just there for a time, but he was beginning something that was greater than any of us, than any of them, that he was only starting what was going on there. And it says that he was beginning both to do and to teach. And then what we find next is that as Jesus was ascending up, as Jesus was getting ready to leave, he passed the torch, if you will. He passed the baton. And he says, I got this thing started. And now I'm going to continue it through you. Right? And so if we're mapping this out for Theophilus, if we're mapping this out from Luke's frame of mind here, he says, I told you who Jesus is. I told you where he came from, about the Annunciation, about the virgin birth. I told you about how he grew up, how he began his ministry, how he did uh, miracles, how he taught all of these things, how he continued to uh, stir up the ire of all of the religious leaders of the day, how he tore down the religious establishment, if you will, and challenged it to the place where they came after him and they were willing to kill him. See, this wasn't a, a work of the Jews. It wasn't something that came out of the Jews' religion. It was something that transcended it. It was something that was greater than what it was. So I've told you about all of those things. And so they came to him, and he gave up his life willingly. They crucified him. And then just as he had died of his own free will, of his own accord, he was raised again the third day. And before he left, he sent these men out. We see that at the very end of Luke. Now he's picking up where he left off, and he says, Jesus began doing all of those things. Now his disciples are picking up this torch. He's passed the baton. They are continuing going forward with these things. And so in this passage that we read, 
It says that he had given commandment to the apostles which he had chosen. That is the commandment that we often uh, call the Great Commission. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. He gave them commandment. He says, continue the work that I have started. But as we look at him sending these men forth, we see that uh, not only are they disciples, his students, they are apostles, his sent ones. They are ambassadors, his representatives. And all these things should be used to describe us as well. We don't often use the term apostle today, right? But apostle means sent one, but haven't we been sent forth? Now I'm not going to start identifying with apostle, okay? But we are sent forth. We are his students. We are to be his ambassadors. We are to be his representatives to this world. And so we are still carrying out that commission that he gave them then. So Jesus began it. He passed the baton to his apostles. And now throughout this entire time for the past 2,000 years, Jesus has been continuing the work that he began back then. He started it then. He's continuing it through believers. He is seeing to it that what he began is going to go forward. The Bible tells us that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church, right? Mm -hmm. And we see that that is true, that it still hasn't prevailed against the church, that it still remains. Yes, there's been times it's beaten and battered. There's been times that uh, there's, it's been attacked relentlessly. Uh, there's been plenty of people who fell away and apostatized. There's been all kinds of things that have happened. But God still has his people today, and he is still doing a work in the world today that he began all the way back then. And we can honestly say that he didn't begin it even in the book of Luke. He didn't even begin it in the manger in Bethlehem. But he began it all the way back at the very beginning because it says that he was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Before he spoke mankind into existence, he already had this plan formulated. He had already began it back then. And so as Luke is telling his friend Theophilus, he's saying God is doing something tremendous. He is doing something huge in this world, that this is bigger than the Jews. It's bigger than religion. It's not just some movement. But God began something. Jesus brought something to this earth. Jesus sent them out to do something great. It's continuing down through this time. But going back to the disciples back then, as they're talking to Jesus here, it says that they're assembled together and he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. So even though they are continuing what he has started, and they're going to continue doing and teaching, isn't that what we're still supposed to be doing? We are the body of Christ, so we should be his hands, his feet. We should be following his footsteps. We should be doing the same sorts of things that he was doing back then, and we should still be teaching his words today, right? And so that's what we're doing. But with the disciples, he tells them they can't attempt it alone. Can you imagine the excitement that they would have as he is uh, for 40 days here, after he is resurrected, he is teaching them, and he is preparing them, and he is showing them all of these great signs and wonders, and they realize that they had him wrong all along. They were expecting him to take a throne. They were expecting an earthly kingdom, right? And now he's saying, look, I had something so much bigger in mind. And they would be excited about going and doing something, especially Peter, right? 
Yeah, Peter's always excited. He's always jumping into things, right? <laughs> Not this Peter, the one about him. Okay? <laughs> hey, Peter, can you fish? Hmm? Can you fish? Definitely. You can't? Okay. Yes. So he, there you go. I'm from fishing background, so definitely, yes. I had to ask that one. But anyway, what we see here in his dealings with the disciples is he tells them that they can't attempt what they are going to be given to do alone. And why this is so important is for us as human beings, we take a task and we try our best to do it in our own power and our own abilities. And I think this is one of the great failings of Christians today. This is a great failing, failing of the church. And not just today, but down throughout time, is that we take the Great Commission, we take the truths of God's Word, and we say, okay, we have what we need. Now, God, watch me work. God, watch what I'm going to do. And we take it as if he has given us our marching orders, and now we've got to go out and make it happen. But he specifically tells the disciples, don't attempt this by yourself. Don't attempt this alone, because you need me. You need my Holy Spirit. And so he says, don't move, don't do anything. Stay in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high, until you receive the promise, until the Comforter comes, until my Spirit comes. And so what's going to happen is that the Holy Spirit is going to be the, doing the job within the disciples that Jesus was once doing with them. As he was walking with them and as he was sending them and guiding them and teaching them, the Holy Spirit is still going to be doing that. And then they're going to be doing in the world what Jesus was once doing in the world, going out and proclaiming the truth of God's word, right? But he says, don't do it alone. Don't even attempt to do it alone. And this is a huge lesson, a huge message for us, because if we attempt to serve God of our own abilities, if we do it of our own strength, you know what's going to happen? We'll fail. And if we're going to succeed, it's still going to be a failure because we've done it without him. There are plenty of ministries in the world that have seen great successes, supposedly for the cause of Christ, but God is nowhere around them because they have been built up and men are being worshipped, and God is taking a back seat to man's ambition and man's drives and man's desires. And so could Peter have started a movement? Could Peter have accomplished a lot back then because of his zeal? Possibly. Now, getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, could the Apostle Paul? You're not going to find anyone as dedicated and zealous as Paul was and so could he have done a lot in his own abilities and his own powers? He already was, right? And so he kind of had the, the whole Roman mentality here, uh, convert or die. Because he was going about and killing Christians because they were not sticking to Judaism. And so that spirit was already going there because of his zeal. And so people have a lot of zeal and they will resort to ungodly methods to do things for God. And God wants no part of that. He says, let me be in the driver's seat. Let my Holy Spirit be the one in charge. If you're going to do anything for God, make sure that he is doing it through you. Because in our pride and our arrogance, we want to be able to accomplish things and then look back and say, God, aren't you proud of me? Look at all I've done for you. And he says, no, you've ran out ahead of me and messed it up. Now let me come through and fix it. Right? Anyone with me? Okay. 
And so he says, don't attempt it alone. Make sure that you wait on the Holy Spirit. And they didn't know how long they were going to have to wait. They didn't know why they were going to wait. And they only had to wait about 10 days. We're going to find out next week that they still didn't wait. You know, Peter's going to be the one that jumps up and says, okay, it's been about long enough. We need to do something while we're waiting. But we'll get to that next week. So he says, Jesus started it. The apostles were to continue it. They couldn't do it alone, and they couldn't get distracted. They couldn't get distracted. Look down at verse number six. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And so what was their mindset? What was their idea? They said, okay, you've died, you've resurrected, you've proven you're the Messiah, we know you to be true, now is it time to set up your kingdom on earth? We're ready for you to take care of all these things. We're ready for you to overthrow the Romans. We're ready for you to show the Jews who's boss. We're ready for you to to take your proper place of prominence on this earth. Is it time yet? See, even in all this, they still had a very temporal, very carnal, very earthly mindset, right? And Jesus' response to them is, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. He says, that's not for you to worry about. As you're looking at all these different things going on on the earth, it's easy to get distracted. It's easy for you to try to set up your kingdom down here. It's easy for you to try to make God uh, make God's kingdom happen now and try to shape this in what you believe to be uh, God's design but that is not why I'm leaving you here. And so for us as Christians, he's given us one task, one responsibility. We look at verse number eight. It says, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and unto other most parts of the earth. To be a witness They were to tell of all the things that they had seen and heard and experienced, right? And so he says, I want you to go out, and as we talked about in the past, I want you to be salt and light in this world I've left you to be in. He says, I want you to represent me well to the people around. I want you to preach my word. I want you to instruct them about me. I want you to act on my behalf in that world. That's what I want you to do. I want you to continue the things that I've done and that I've taught. Don't worry about setting up a kingdom. Don't worry about bringing these things to pass. Don't worry about time frames and all these things. Just go about doing the Father's business. And so for us as Christians, there are so many things we get distracted on. We are looking at setting up a temporary kingdom. We're we're worried about an earthly kingdom. And how much energy are we putting in to the things that are going to pass away? How much energy are we putting in to building up our own kingdom here? We're even trying to reform things down here. Hey, it's a noble cause. We would love for the world to be a little bit more moral. We'd love for things to be more godly down here. But guess what? Most of the people here are lost. And lost men are going to do what lost men do. You know what is going to be the best solution to the sin and the wickedness in this world? If Jesus Christ would save them. 
But how shall they believe without a preacher? They need someone to tell them. And so while we are going about trying to right all society's wrongs and trying to bring about a kingdom on this earth, the gospel is not going out. We have been distracted from our purpose. And so he tells them, don't get distracted. But Lord, when is your kingdom coming? When is all these things going to be sorted out? When, when, when? Just go about being a witness to this world, seeking the salvation of the lost. That's what I came to do. Jesus says that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he said, just worry about that. Don't get hung up. Don't get distracted on all these things. And so what we've seen in this passage so far, Jesus started the things that was going on. The disciples were going to continue it. We continue it to this day. We can't live the Christian life. We can't serve the Lord. We can't be successful in our Christian life and ministry apart from the Holy Spirit, from walking by faith, following after Him, and allowing Him to work in us and through us. And just as a side note on that, we can't hijack the Holy Spirit's job and take it over either. And the last thing that we find here in this passage is that Jesus gave a promise that He was going to return to finish what He started. It says in verse 10, While they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Could you imagine what an emotional time this would have been for the disciples? Could you imagine how troubled they would be? that they spent this time with Jesus. He was just crucified 40 days prior. They spent a little bit of time with him, but they've still been bouncing back and forth between doubts and fears and belief and all these things. It says that Jesus had given them many, uh, what was the term that it used here, uh, many infallible proofs. And they're still processing it. It takes more than 40 days to process things a lot less minor than this. Okay. And so they're just walking with Jesus, and Jesus says, wait, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. You're going to continue the work that I started, and then he starts ascending into heaven. And they say, wait, we weren't done with you yet. How can you leave us here? How can you abandon us like this? He's already promised them everything they're going to need. But they didn't necessarily trust him to provide it, did they? And so they're sitting there looking up to heaven, and Peter's sitting there probably thinking, now what are we going to do? Right? Where does this leave us? How can you just float away? And the angels look at the disciples and say, shut your faces, because their jaw was probably unhinged, right? The angel probably rushed over and closed that thing up. Why are you standing there looking into heaven? This same Jesus that you see going away, he's going to come again in like manner. He's coming back. This isn't the end. This is the beginning. He will come back. He will finish things up. He will bring it to completion. See, one of the things that the, uh, the Jews and even the disciples back in that day struggled with was in the Old Testament, oftentimes 
Jesus coming, the Messiah's coming, his first and second comings were sandwiched together. The prophets couldn't figure out, the Jews couldn't figure out how he was supposed to both be a suffering servant and also a conquering king. Those seem to be contradictory, don't they? They seem like they don't fit together. And he came the first time as a suffering servant. He'll come the second time as the conquering king. And so with this, this brings about, it shows us the rest of the story. They didn't know about this intervening time, which we are currently in. And so the angel says, he's going to come back and he's going to fulfill the rest of it. He's going to come back. He's going to set up that kingdom. He's going to come back and he's going to take care of these things. He's going to finish what he started. But until he returns, continue serving him. Continue following his orders. Continue keeping your eyes on the objective that he has given you. Continue committed to that task and continue dependent upon his spirit. And so as we finish up uh, today, in the rest of the book of Acts, what we're going to see is the Holy Spirit comes down. And that in and of itself is electrifying to the disciples. It changes a lot. And I think it surprises Peter. Because you think about Peter, Peter was constantly running off the mouth. He was constantly questioning Jesus. He was the one that rebuked Jesus. We looked at that earlier, right? And so the Holy Spirit comes down on the day of Pentecost. They're still in their upper room. And whenever the Holy Spirit comes into Peter, Peter comes down. There's a lot going on. People begin asking questions and say, what is going on? And Peter begins to preach. And I don't think Peter was even expecting what came out of his mouth. I don't think he came down to preach. I think he came with an explanation. It's like a TV news interview. What's going on here? Well, let me tell you. And he preaches the gospel and thousands are saved. That's never happened before. And it wouldn't have happened without his spirit, would it? And we're going to see God continually using his disciples and using other men to bring about his will and his purpose on this earth in spite of them, in spite of their shortcomings, in spite of their weaknesses. He's going to be using them and guiding them and directing them, and he's going to make incredible things happen. And he's going to take what we find of this uh, struggling, somewhat bumbling group of disciples, fill them with the Holy Spirit, and turn the world upside down with them. And so for us here today, if we desire to have God to use us, if we desire for things to happen here, it's going to take us waiting on him, allowing him to be in charge, allowing God to guide, allowing him to direct, allowing him to do what only he can do, and for us being willing vessels that he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever imagine but it's going to take us seeking him first and being okay with whatever he does, right? So does anyone have any questions, anything to add to this this morning? Any disagreements, I'll take that too. We can argue, it'll be all right. You have anything, brother? No, sir, you did good, thank you. Appreciate that encouragement.
Okay. Well, if there's nothing else, we'll go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. We'll take a short break, and then we'll jump into our second service. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that we have the Bible before us, and we can see in your word the way that you work in this world, the way you work in the lives of your people. And Lord, we try to do so much on our own power. We try to do everything by our own ability, Lord, and we hinder you so much. Lord, I pray, just ask you, help us, Lord, to see through this study in the book of Acts how, what is possible if we'll get out of the way, if we'll let you take the lead, if we'll allow you to be in charge, if we'll allow your Holy Spirit to, to uh, be the one that's empowering us rather than doing things of our own strength. Lord, we thank you once again for all you do and all you do, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.